We welcome you. This is part eight as we are working through the Song of Solomon. And this morning, you can see we're in that section entitled, How to Have a Great Wedding. Chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. Now, the dream of every girl, am I right, girls, is a great wedding, okay? That was kind of weak, ladies, but <laughs> let's say that it, the dream of every girl is a great wedding. Yeah. Now, the dream of every guy is a great wedding night. Okay, did we get that all right, guys? All right, all right, all right. Um, now, what we're going to learn in this section is that we want to have both. We want to have a great wedding, and we have, I want to have an awesome wedding night. And the Solomon of Solomon, as we're learning, is about one couple. Solomon is the guy, the Shulamite is the gal. And Solomon is married when he wrote the book. He's looking back on their relationship. And the whole book, as you study it, is just he tracks the stages of their relationship. And there's so, this is what we learn. We learn so much about romantic relationships as we learn the stages that every romantic relationship goes through. So it all starts with their attraction. That was the first stage. And then it moved to their dating life, and we studied that. Then it moved to their courtship, and we studied that. And now their wedding finally comes. And this is the divine order. This is not by mistake. This is God's plan for romantic relationships. Attraction, dating, courtship, wedding, and then intimacy. God's plan for every couple is that they have this amazing, very special, awesome, joyful wedding celebration to unite their lives as one emotionally and spiritually and socially. And then they'd have this amazing, glorious totally steamy wedding night in which to celebrate their wedding and unite their lives as one sexually. This is God's plan, and watch this. It works. This progression works, and statistics prove that it works. Let me just give you a few statistics. 80% of couples that live together without marriage end in separation. If, you're in a, if you think, oh, i got to try on the shoe to make sure it fits, like he's a shoe, she's a shoe, no. This is a, a person, an individual. 80% of couples that live together, that relationship does not work. 60% of those who marry by a justice of the peace just go down to the courthouse. 60% of those marriages end in divorce. Sad statistic, but it's better than the other. 40% of those who are married in churches eventually divorce. But then look at this stat. Only one couple in 1,050 who read their Bible together daily end in divorce. Just on those statistics alone, you can build a solid case that it's wise to wait until marriage, to live together and have sex. You should get married in a church and then you should read your Bible together on a regular basis, just on the statistics alone. Now, at the core of every good marriage is a spiritual bond, and that spiritual bond becomes united in the marriage ceremony. The two become one flesh, become one, I should say, before God and these witnesses in that ceremony. And a wedding is a very sacred moment. 
The word sacrament literally means sacred moment. And the sacrament of marriage is just that. It's a set-apart moment. It's a holy moment when God is fully present and God is the foremost witness to those wedding vows. Sex is designed to flow out of that spiritual marriage bond and enhance the bond. But until the spiritual bond is fully in place before God sealed at the time of the wedding with the vows, the sexual bond is not likely to hold, nor is the special blessing that God has designed it to be. Now, the most important part of any wedding ceremony is actually the intent, the heart of the individual's regarding marriage. How you approach your wedding day will in many ways determine how your married life will be after your wedding. If, if your wedding day is just this cheap formality, okay, something to endure, then your married life may just follow suit and just be a cheap formality, just something that you will have to endure. Your wedding day and how you approach it says volumes about your marriage and what your marriage will be like. It doesn't say everything, but it says a lot. It's a reflection of what is to come. As a pastor, you know, I've performed hundreds of weddings, and I always include preliminary vows in all the weddings that I perform. These vows are agreed upon by both the man and the woman uh, even before they touch one another in the ceremony, even before she is given away, typically by the father, uh, I say, I, I say, John, do you take Sarah to be your lawfully wedded wife, to love and to cherish in health and in sickness, in prosperity and in adversity, and to keep yourself solely under her so long as you both shall live? Will you answer, I do. If you're thinking, I'm not sure I can be faithful to him or her that way no matter what, then I'm not sure you're ready for marriage. You're ready, you're wanting to have a sexual affair, but marriage, it's vows. It's before God. It's holy. It's a sacrament. Marriage should be entered into only if you are 100% committed to making a vow before God in his holy presence to love that person who's standing before you no matter what happens, so long as you both shall live. Jesus' words, Jesus spoke this about marriage in Matthew 19, 4 to 6. Many places he talked about marriage, but here's one in particular. Jesus said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Notice marriage is between a man and a woman right from the very words of God. They are no longer two, but one, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Solomon and the Shulamite, they had this really great wedding. And every couple can have a really special, great wedding. And God wants you to have a great wedding. It's part of his plan for romantic relationships. Now, sandwiched between courtship that ends in chapter 3, verse 5, and intimacy that begins in chapter 4, verse 1, are these verses in chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. These verses are what we're going to study this morning. And these six verses describe their processional and their wedding. And the processional is always part of any uh, ancient Near East wedding, as we will discover. But I see in these six verses 
five characteristics of a great wedding. Now, I want to share, this is not a comprehensive list, but these five characteristics, as they are present, make for a beautiful, glorious, special, what I call a great wedding. So let's begin. Here we go. Number one, a great wedding exalts God's providence. Now, what I mean by that is that a great wedding communicates that God put you both together, that your relationship from the beginning up to the wedding moment was a God thing, a divine appointment. And Now, let me explain. Listen to how the Shulamite describes Solomon in chapter 3, verse 6. She says this. She describes Solomon this way. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke? Now, he's coming to pick her up to bring her to her wedding. We'll get into that in a second. But she describes him as a column of smoke. Solomon wasn't like a chain smoker, okay? But her description here is reminiscent of the Exodus period of time in history and how God was described as coming to the Israelites in the form of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And why? Why did God do that? He came that way to guide the Israelites on their journey out of Egypt and into the promised land. God in his divine providence came to the Israelites at that, at that time in history in that form for his divine purpose. And what she is saying is this, Solomon, you came to me as one sent from God. God put us together. It wasn't by accident that you visited my vineyard that one day when I was working in the heat of the day. None of this was by accident. God's providence has put us together. See, a great wedding exalts God's providence. It declares the God factor in bringing you two together as a couple, that you are divine appointment. You're not some random chance. Your relationship is God-ordained. God was in all of those circumstances to bring you two together. In every wedding that I perform and most pastors that they perform, they always tell the story. When he first met her, when she first met him, you always tell that story and how that relationship developed. There are over 7 billion people, 7.4 plus billion people in our world today. It's not by accident that you two are together. That is a divine appointment. God arranged it, and that story needs to be told. Marriage is first and foremost a God thing. Acts 17 verse 26 says, He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. You know that? God knew that you would be born in the United States. He knew the school you'd go to. He knew the exact place that one day you would meet your spouse when you first saw him or first saw her. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew exactly the day that you would meet him or her. God placed you two together. At our wedding on July 5th, 1986, the ceremony began with the song, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. And everyone that was in the sanctuary where our wedding was heard that song before anything. It was sung by a soloist before we entered. What we wanted to communicate, Tracy and I, to everyone present is this is a God thing. God put this together in his providence. 
So let me just ask you a question. If you're planning, right now you're watching on video or, or you're here, you're maybe planning on getting married, question, what are the songs that you want to include in your wedding? The scriptures, the spiritual symbols, the stories you are planning on using in your ceremony. You see, a great, great wedding exalts God's providence. It tells everyone God has put our relationship together. The key scripture that we used in our wedding that was on the program was Psalm 34, verse 3. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. There are hundreds of scriptures that you can use. That was the one that we selected. Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, talks about the doctrine of God's providence. I just want you to listen to this. We may define God's providence as follows, Wayne says. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that, one, he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Two, cooperates with created things in every action, direction, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do, and three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. A great wedding exalts God's providence. It tells the story of how God brought you two together, how he's involved in this whole thing, that it is a God thing. That, when that is incorporated into a wedding, everyone's like, they may not understand it, but that is the recipe for a great wedding. Number two, characteristic of a great wedding. A great wedding radiates, radiates celebration. A great wedding is a full-blown party. <laughs> it is a celebration. It's festive. It's exciting. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Now, she goes on to describe Solomon. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke? That's the providence of God. And it says this, perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant. This is the deal. Solomon, she's describing him, came completely decked out. I mean, he came to her house in the most expensive scented perfume that money could buy. Solomon, like, went to all the merchants, find out what the best stuff was. He bought that. He came with that. Solomon, watch this. He's ready to celebrate, ready for his bride. And he was, and as we're going to see in, in just a little bit, everyone else came decked out as well. I mean, they came to party. And at our wedding, I'm sure at your wedding, at our wedding, we had a blast. It was fun, laughter, happiness, joy. Pastor Jake uh, Belig, my mentor, Larry's mentor, he was the one who married us. Pastor Larry was my best man in the wedding. It was so fun. At our, at our reception, which was a blast as well, Tracy and I uh, were waiting for my night, at the end, we're waiting for my 1959 Corvette that I kind of remodeled and had at that point. Since then, I had to sell it. But back then, I had it. And we're waiting for Larry to drive the Corvette up right here, right outside here, and then, then Tracy and I would be, you know, drive away into the sunset, you know, onto our honeymoon. And so I'm waiting for the Corvette. Where's Larry? And all of a sudden, around the corner comes my dad in our 1966 pickup truck with stock rack on it that is used to haul cattle. And on it is a sign that says, just married. And it's just a joke. It's a total joke. And Tracy and I are just, we can't believe it. Like, everyone's, cra streamers are flowing from the truck. And then we're like, it was a big joke, you know, and people are cracking up. It was hilarious the whole time. And then all of a sudden, Larry drives up in my Corvette. We get in, and we take off. Fun. You know, I have attended some amazing weddings where 
Everything just radiates celebration and joy and celebration. Why? Ultimately, at the bottom of it all, it's because the guests are saying, these two are doing it right. <laughs> They've just done it right. They're honoring God. And, and look at the preparation, and it's just total celebration. I've also attended some weddings that felt like, I'm going to be honest, a funeral. The joy is just absolutely sucked out of that whole wedding. Why? It all comes down to how you prepared for your wedding. Was it attraction, dating, courtship, and then wedding, and then sex? Doing things God, God's way brings incredible celebration. But when you don't, it's tough. It's tough. And just a word to those of you who are dating, you're engaged. You know, if you haven't done things God's way up to this point, God loves you. But watch this. Repent of your sin. you got to repent. And then prepare, do things God's way from this point on, and you will have an amazing celebration at your wedding. Honor God. And that, that ceremony will be beautiful. You know, I heard about a wedding where the groom was this godly Hispanic man. And he married this woman who was also Hispanic. And everything about their wedding was Hispanic, okay? Uh, after the guests were seated, everyone's waiting for this to begin, the wedding begins with trumpets just blaring in the back of the, the, the church. And then people entered carrying these Christian banners, which they brought, you know, up front. And then came the dancing girls uh, floating and twirling in praise. And then came the bridesmaids and the groommen. Groomsmen, they all look joy to, joyful, and they're radiant, you know, walking down the center aisle. Then the father walks down the aisle in this great fanfare, and with the entire congregation on its feet, the father declares, he yells at the top of his voice, all things have been done in order. This man is courted and loved and done honorably by my daughter. Then he cried to the back of the sanctuary. He cried, receive your bride. And this groom was just like, you know, I mean, he could, all he could do was just run down that aisle to his bride awaiting him. The celebration, the joy of doing things God's way is unbelievable. How exciting. Approach your wedding with a glad heart. Celebrate the fact that God has brought you together. Enjoy this day. The Bible says, you know, in Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. If there is a day that should be absolutely celebration for you, it should be your wedding. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A great wedding, watch this, exalts God's providence, and a great wedding then radiates celebration. This is God's best for romantic relationships. Number three, a great wedding conveys security. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, a great wedding conveys um, this sense of security. In other words, everyone feels good about the wedding. Everybody says amen about the couple being married. And, and listen, if you would, to saw about how Solomon and the Shulamite, how he picks her up, how he arrives just to bring her to the wedding. Look at chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors. This is her describing Solomon coming to their house. The noblest of Israel, all them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. Okay, ladies, think about this. How would you feel 
if uh, your groom picked you up from your house to bring you to your wedding, and he shows up with 60 groomsmen, all armed with 357s, okay? Solomon was saying to this, you don't have to worry. I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will lay down my life for you. I guarantee the Shulamite felt secure. I guarantee her mom felt secure. I guarantee her dad felt secure. I guarantee everyone that attended that wedding ceremony felt secure. Everyone felt confident that this couple, they're going to make it. They have 60 groomsmen running garrison around them the rest of their lives to encourage them. The wedding reflected and communicated security. A great wedding communicates security. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding where you silently prayed during the whole ceremony, Lord, I pray they make it past tomorrow. Just help them make it past tomorrow. Because you're just like, nothing in this wedding is communicating security. You say, how does a wedding communicate security? Watch this. When God's providence is exalted, that communicates security to everyone. When the atmosphere radiates celebration, that communicates security. When you as a groom select the right groomsmen, that conveys security. Solomon, he did not go to his wedding alone. This was no back street, you know, back alley, kind of in the darkness wedding. No, no, no. This was public. And Solomon selected 60 of, watch this, his most trusted friends, warriors, to be his groomsmen. I mean, these were his best buddies, godly men, upstanding men, men of character. I mean, how do you think Tracy's mom and Tracy's dad, when we were married, felt when they look at eight groomsmen, my best man being Pastor Larry Wool? Do you think that brought security to those in the room who were watching this? How did the audience feel? When they saw not only Larry, but multiple pastors standing up there next to me, did you think that brings security? A great wedding conveys security. Everyone gets this feeling that this is going to work, this is great, and guess what? Much of that security, watch this, comes from the groomsmen you select and the bridesmaids that you select that stand with you. Your wedding party is critical for a great wedding. Your groomsmen and your bridesmaids, they're a reflection of your character. They either will convey security to others or they will convey concern to others. It's all based on the character of those people that are standing to your right and left. So my advice to you is this. Be selective. Be very selective with who you choose to stand with you at your wedding because you are putting your life on display with who stands with you. A great wedding conveys security. Let me give you a fourth characteristic of a great wedding. A great wedding, number four, involves appropriate financial preparation. In other words, you have made appropriate financial preparation for your wedding and your married life together. It's, it's such an unsettling feeling. I don't know if you've sensed this before, when you're financially unprepared, that is no fun at all. Um, 
I remember uh, the first girl that I really had a crush on, her name was Kim. And this was, you know, fourth grade. And I went to school in, in Dublin, and across from our school was uh, Mervyn's. And uh, during lunch hour, right when lunch hour came, she came to me and she goes, Mark, let's not go to lunch and let's go across the street and go to Mervyn's. And I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing, so I'm just like a puppy following along, you know. I'm kind of really, you know, a crush on this girl, Kim. So we walk into Mervyn's, and I don't know what we're doing. We're just kind of shopping, going around, and she brings me and her right to the jewelry counter. And I'm like kind of standing behind her, and she's, she's looking at rings. And so a lady comes, you know, behind the counter, may I help you? And I'll never forget, ever, in my whole life, what she said. She said, uh, this is my boyfriend, and he's going to buy me a ring. I, I turned absolutely red. I had not one penny on me. And I'm like, I learned my lesson that moment. The lesson is this, never go shopping with a female. I mean, that was... But what a feeling to be completely financially unprepared. Not a good feeling at all. And I want you to notice the preparation of Solomon for his wedding. Look at this, chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. King Solomon made for himself. Now, he's king, but he did something on his own. On his, this says so much about his character. He made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver. Its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. So they helped him as well. Solomon himself built the carriage that he would pick his bride up with and drive her to the wedding. It was fully furnished, built with the best that was available to him, and it was finished. He actually finished it. If Solomon invested that much time just with the carriage, imagine his preparation for their wedding, for their honeymoon, for their life after, in their home, that sort of thing. A great wedding, watch this, is marked by appropriate financial preparation. I didn't say perfect preparation. I didn't say elaborate preparation, but watch this, sufficient preparation. Every woman, every woman, she dreams of a man who is appropriately prepared for their wedding and their married life together. A woman is looking for a man who displays to her that he loves her enough to provide a place for her, both materially and financially. I mean, Hollywood sometimes, you know, portrays this erroneous picture that is very romantic for a young couple to get married, be penniless, but they have passion. They have so much passion. And then they live on that passion for a while. <laughs> the problem is uh, passion doesn't last very long when you have no food to eat, you know, kind of thing. It takes money to have a wedding, even a modest honeymoon, and to set up a home and then begin paying the bills. The Bible's pretty clear that the primary income for the family is the husband's responsibility. He is the head of the home. Many women, they work these days, and that's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the responsibility for earning money primarily rests with the man. You know, I read about this uh, couple. They're happily married for 20 years. I thought this was so impressive. And early in the man's life, he made four promises to himself. He would marry when, one, he finished college. 
Two, he had a job. Three, when he was able to give his bride a diamond ring that she would be proud to wear. And four, when he had saved $10,000. What did his girlfriend and later wife think about this? She was absolutely thrilled. Each promise reflected to her that he wanted to prepare and give her the very best. Now, please know I'm not advocating you have to be rich before you get married. If that were the case, I never would have married Tracy. Uh, But I had a steady job. You know, I had a savings. Um, I was a good steward. I was able to buy her a modest but a cool diamond ring, you know? The question is this. And she still likes that diamond ring today. But the question is this. Do you have sufficient funds for your wedding and your honeymoon and your life as you begin? Now, you got to think about this. If you, if you have been spending your money on yourself without any regard to your future spouse, I'm not sure you're ready for marriage. Because as a pastor, the reason for divorce that I see, number one is sexual you know, adultery, Number, number two, a close number two in my uh, experience is mismanagement of finances, being an absolute dad, stressed out. So this is such an important thing for your life. Far better to put off your marriage until you're financially able than to set yourself up for major financial struggles at the beginning. The last thing you want is major financial struggles during your f- first year of marriage. It's to be avoided at all costs. I mean, you're going to have enough challenges just adjusting to one another. A great wedding, watch this, involves sufficient financial preparation on the part of the man and the woman. You're in this together. Have you made sufficient financial preparation? That's needed for a great wedding. Let me give you a fifth characteristic of a great wedding. great wedding includes parental approval. In other words... Both sides, ideally, of the parents are in agreement with the marriage. Chapter 3, verse 11. This is cool. It says, Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. This is why we know this scripture is about their wedding. The day his heart rejoiced. So there was a moment in the wedding ceremony when Solomon's mother crowned him with a literal crown. This was not the crown given to Solomon at his coronation when he was crowned the king of Israel. That happened earlier. This was a crown given to Solomon on the day of his wedding. It was a wedding crown that grooms wore in those days. Why? By his mom, that crown said that Solomon was marrying a woman who was approved by his parents and who would be a valued daughter. And for centuries upon centuries, when you look back in the history of weddings, crowning was a part of marriage ceremonies. The bride was crowned with her veil, usually held in place by a heavily embroidered wedding cap or crown of flowers, usually placed upon her by the father. The groom was crowned with a very simple band of gold or with a garland of flowers, usually by his mother. Today, the father typically gives the daughter her hand in marriage. The mother of the groom continues to weep silently as she gives up her son to another woman. All in fulfillment of God's amazing plan for the marriage relationship. 
Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. And just a little side note here, if I could. While you are dating and courting, take the time to get to know the family uh, that you're going to be marrying into. Win them. Date them. Court them. Become their hero. I mean, theologically, on your wedding day, you marry a husband or a wife, but practically you are marrying that entire family. Court the family. Win them. Resolve issues. Work through problems so that on your wedding day, there exists approval. There exists blessing. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Have you done everything you can to make peace? Great. That's the principle. A great wedding includes parental approval and blessing. Okay, let's review what we have learned in this session. How do, you, how do you have a great wedding? There are five principles that we get out of the wedding of Solomon and the Shulamite. Five characteristics. Number one, a great wedding exalts God's providence. That means everyone senses that God has put you two together. Cool. Two, a great wedding radiates celebration. You and everybody else is excited, there's rejoicing, there's celebration. Three, a great wedding conveys security. Everyone feels good about the wedding. You did it right. Not perfect, but you did it right. Number four, a great wedding involves appropriate financial preparation. There is sufficient finances as you begin your life together. And five, a great wedding includes parental approval. Parents are in agreement with the marriage. They extend their blessing. And you know what happens? when these five characteristics are present in your wedding, joy. Joy happens. Great celebration. Listen to how Solomon felt on his wedding day. I mean, tracked the door, dated her, courted her, engaged, wedding. How did he feel? On the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. Wow. Beautiful. This is God's plan, that everything builds to this wedding, and your heart is full of joy as you see her, as she sees you, and then you have this amazing honeymoon that begins that night. Hmm. Allow me to give some encouragement to two groups of people as we wrap this up, okay? First of all, let me give some encouragement to married couples. You're married here. The temptation after a message like this is to compare, watch this, your wedding to Solomon's wedding. If you do that, uh, and you're going to be thinking, wow, our wedding doesn't even compare. What a loser wedding we had. That is not the point of this message. Don't go there. You say, well, what is the point? Let me give you three thoughts that are the point. If you are a married couple, listen to this. Number one. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage or a perfect wedding. It does not exist. Every wedding will be unique and different. Number two, be thankful for the wedding that God gave you in your marriage. Celebrate your wedding. Your wedding was special and unique and needs to remain special and unique in your mind, in your heart, in your memory. But the third thing is really important. Take these principles and watch this. Pass these on to your children or to couples who would benefit from this teaching. Some of you, you've been married for years. Praise the Lord. Take what you've learned from your wedding and from Solomon's wedding 
Now pass it on to others. Right now, you are better equipped to be a blessing to others who are preparing for their wedding. I'm sure if you're married right now, you're probably going, man, I wish I knew this stuff. Like when I was dating way back, now you know it, pass it on to others. You can be a blessing, a mentor to others, and many of you are being just this. First, and then let me give you encouragement to those of you who are engaged. You're planning for your wedding. You're engaged. Let me give you two things. Number one, congratulations. How exciting. What a thrilling, exciting point you are. Getting ready, preparing for your wedding. And here's what I would say to you. Take the principles that you have heard here and apply them, watch this, where they fit. Where they fit. Your wedding is going to be unique and totally special and unique and different from Solomon's. Your wedding should reflect you, your dreams, your desires. And if there's a principle that you can bring into your wedding from the song of Solomon, feel free to use it. Let this be a blessing to you. Wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, that you would give us uh, this beautiful scripture that just talks about uh, a wedding that Solomon and the Shulamite experienced. Thank you that marriage is your idea. And thank you that this wedding ceremony is also part of your plan for all romantic relationships. And for those of us who are married, I just want to thank you, Lord, and praise you for our wedding day. We look back on that, and whatever it was, in your providence, that's what you gave us, and I pray, Lord, that every married couple will celebrate that. And for those of us who are engaged, Lord, I pray your blessing over them. I pray that these principles that we've studied today could be an encouragement to all engaged couples as they plan for this most special day in their lives. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right.